everyone, you're listening to Faith FM, the breakfast radio show, 87.6, 87.8 and 88, right across Australia. You're with Renee and Kate. <laughs> this morning I'm with Kate. Hey, Kate, how are you this morning? I am very good. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I'm so glad to be joined with you. Um, if you're wondering where Lyle is, he is... On a br- on a mini holiday, he's, he's off at work somewhere else, just not here. <laughs> um, I should begin this morning by saying, Kate, what are you grateful for? I am very grateful for a little lake that's right near my house in Moorabrook. Yes, uh, it has ducks and water dragons and uh, swamp hens, and sometimes they have babies, which is really, really cute. Um, it's just a really nice place uh, to go really... F- early in the morning and just commune with God. And yeah. I often take a little Bible verse with me and I kind of just meditate on that as I'm walking. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's a big blessing. Absolutely. The Bible does say like, you know, the creation is the wonders really show of who God is. It's a yeah. revelation of God. So, huh, I love that. Yes. What are you grateful for? I am grateful for... Um, I had a really early morning this morning. Shall knows. I got, I got to the office extra early. Okay. Um, and I, because I, I woke up an hour earlier than I was supposed to. But like, I never, that's never a bad thing. I think waking up early is, it's always a good time. So mm. I'm just really grateful that like, I have this thing, like before I sleep, I worry that I won't wake up on time. And, and I think, I pray to God, hey, God, do you mind just waking me up? Please. Pretty please. Please. <laughs> and it's like, please wake me up, God. Because if you look at my alarm list, it's like 5, 5, 5.20, 5.25. So it goes all up to the time I'm supposed to get up. Yes. Um, but I'm very grateful that God woke me up even earlier and I spent like some extra time with him, which it was really nice to have just in his word, journaling, writing. So I really encourage our listeners to be sure to spend time with God this early morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM positively different. Um, Kate, what's happening in the world of positive news? Okay, well, in Kerala, India, a photographer noticed a man rowing a boat and collecting something from the river. He came over and uh, he just kind of watched him for a little bit and he realised that he was collecting plastic bottles from the river um, and apparently he'd been doing that for years to earn his meagre living. He was paralysed since the age of five from polio mm. uh, and it was his daily routine to keep the waterways of Vembanad Lake clear of plastic, all from the seat of his small boat. So he had no crutches. Uh, he would actually uh, drag his legs the short way down to the riverbank and uh, to the river, and then he was free to wander the waters in search of bottles. Wow! <laughs> so Nandu, a photographer, witnessed this, and he he thought, "Oh, I'll just take a beautiful photo of this." And um, he realised that, yeah. Um, not only was it a beautiful photo, mm. but um, when he uploaded it, it went viral. Wow. And even the uh, president of the Indian, oh, sorry, the Indian prime minister commented and said, oh, imagine how highly he thinks. We must also take inspiration from him and contribute towards cleanliness as far as possible. So, yes, um, he'd been filling his plastic bottles, um, um, his boat with plastic bottles, which only earned him enough for a meal, just a meal, and it's, but for him, it was satisfying to know he was helping the environment. So he said, somebody should remove the waste from the water. I am doing what is possible for me. Wow. That's lovely. Just doing what you can. And I absolutely love that. Like, um, 
Yeah, you said he he he's par- he paralyzed or he couldn't paralyzed from par- polio. Wow! And so, I mean, I've never heard of someone getting around like on a boat. So that's amazing. Yes, <laughs> doing what he's can, what he can. Exactly. When it went viral, everybody just jumped on it, and he was rewarded with a new motorboat, wow. courtesy of a local businessman. And plans are in the works to build him a little home to replace the riverside shack that has um, that was severely damaged in a storm. And best of all, a company making wheelchairs has given him a heavy-duty motorised wheelchair. Woo! Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so don't underestimate your, yes. your small contribution. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, on other news, uh, we can actually fool the coronavirus. So what? <laughs> well, it's underway. Um, scientists have developed protein fragments called peptides that trick the coronavirus. Um, and basically they fit snugly into a groove in the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein that would normally, it would normally use to access a host cell. So these peptides effectively trick the virus into shaking hands with a replica rather than the one, than the actual protein on a cell surface that lets the virus in. What? Yes. <laughs> wow. Talk about April Fool's. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Psych. Anyway. Scientists designed and tested the peptides that resembled ACE2 enough to convince the coronavirus to bind to them in an action that blocks the virus's ability to act actually get inside the cell. Mm. So um, they say that their goal is that anytime SARS-CoV-2 comes into contact with the peptides, tides, the virus will be inactivated. This is because the virus spike protein is already bound to something that it, it needs to use in order to bind to the cell. So um, they they have to get to the virus while it's outside of every cell. Mm-hmm. So they're creating a nasal spray okay. and an aerosol surface disinfectant yeah. um, to block circulation of SARS-CoV-2 um, access points with an agent that prevents their entry into target cells. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. And just like hearing about the... Just the body and how the cells work and that's a, that's just... Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Um, okay, so in other news in Baltimore, uh, a gentleman by the name of Calvin Tyler, he had a very sad story himself in that he didn't have enough money to finish his, um, his degree and he was just one year shy of graduating. This was in 1963. Um, and he just didn't want that, uh, for other people. Mm. So yes, he, you know, became a UPS driver and, uh, steadily rose in the ranks. Mm. Uh, by the time he retired, he was senior vice president. Um, and he realized, yes, uh, hard work and grit can pay off, but, mm. Some people don't get that opportunity. That's right. So he decided with his wife to establish the Calvin and Tina Tyler Endowed Scholarship Fund at the historically black university that he once attended. Mm. By granting full tuition scholarships to select Baltimore students in need, they hoped to elevate them to a place where they they would be able to gain a first foothold in the corporate ladder. How far they climbed, he said, would be up to them. Ooh. Yes, that's like, I, I love that he's giving opportunities because he's right that, you know, you might like, uh, it is sometimes your opportunities, there, there is not many opportunities for you. And so he's providing that for people in his community. Exactly. Yep. In 2016, he raised the bar to $5 million, mm. but earlier this year, they broke their own record pledging $20 million in scholarship 
endowments. Woo! Yes. <laughs> so Tyler says that he and his wife were compelled by the impact of COVID-19 crisis mm. um, and the impact that it had on students that were already struggling. Um, and he wanted to help close the financial gap. Um, they said they want to have more full tuition scholarships offered to young people so that they can graduate from college and enter the next stage of their life debt-free. Yes. Yes. I support that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Financial freedom. <laughs> yes. So Calvin Tyler might not have, uh, have a college diploma to hang on his wall, but he's earned an advanced degree in paying it forward. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Many times over. And that's one course of study that all of us can learn from. <laughs> yes. Yes. Huh, I love that. Yeah. Like he didn't have this, he didn't have that growing up himself. And so he sees the value in, in investing in his own community. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And the golden rule from Matthew seven twelve: do unto others. Absolutely. As, as you, you would, would have them. Yeah. Do unto you. That's Absolutely. it. Yeah. Okay. There is an orange problem in Spain. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, where in spring, 5.7 million kilograms in just one city um, called Seville, I hope I said that right, um, are squished and decaying in the city sidewalks. And so that obviously brings in flies and a lot of fermentation and passing by cars just to squish it into the yeah. pavement. Um, so they decided to take, to take the OJ and turn it into a different sort of juice. <laughs> And the juice that they chose is the juice of bitter oranges. Or they discovered that bitter oranges is a full of ri- a full of fructose consisting of very short carbon chains, and this causes the fermentation process to run hot enough to power five homes for a day on just one ton of oranges. Oh wow! Yes, <laughs> so they're turning their problem into a solution. <laughs> well, if they had, you know, if you have any oranges lying around, <laughs> be sure to, I don't know, you could probably power power your house if you're smart <laughs> enough. But that's really cool. They're being super creative there. Um, and it's just really good to hear what, what people are doing in their communities around the world, investing in their communities. Um, yeah, and that's just a beautiful reminder to us, like what can we do for our communities um, just in our households today that can influence influence and impact people. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And on with the show, we have some more news to cover. Uh, Australia is suspending limited bilateral defence cooperation program with Myanmar's military. So, um I've been kind of looking up this story. I found it quite interesting. Um, what's happening in Myanmar? I think, I hope I'm saying that right. But what's happened um, this year basically has been the elected leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, and the members of her National League for Democracy. She was in power. She was elected into power. Uh, and her party, among hundreds, have been detained. Um, and so she's been detained with her supporters um, and the army has now taken over in Myanmar. And so an emergency, uh, the the country has called for an emergency state of, <laughs> I think I, I just butchered that, but there's an emergency moment <laughs> in that country. State of emergency. State, <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Kate. You're amazing. <laughs> um, there is a, there's been call for state of emergency. 
Uh, there's been many problems because because of this, because the army has taken over, they've, the army has claimed that the um, the election has been tampered with and that there's problems that there's there's some corruption and people have uh, people people are protesting and unfortunately the protests uh, have been met with the army and there's been violence and mm. um, many people have been killed um, about fifty to count as of now. Oh. Um, the United Nations said security forces in Myanmar has killed more than 50 people to stamp out daily demonstrations and strikes in the Southeast Asian nation since the military overthrew and detained elected leader on February, February the 1st. In a statement released on Sunday night, Foreign Affairs Minister Maurice Payne flagged the government's grave concerns about the escalating violence and rising death toll in protests against the coup. Um, we condemn the use of lethal force and violence against civilians exercising their universal rights, including the right to freedom of expression and peaceful assembly. We continue to strongly urge the Myanmar security forces to exercise restraint and refrain from violence against civilians. Now, Myanmar is surrounded um, by Thailand, Bangladesh. Uh, I think it's close to Philippines, if my geography is right. I haven't done geography in ages. Um, <laughs> but uh, Many of these countries are saying, as well as China, they're saying that this is this is more of an internal matter that uh, that they're they're trying to solve within their their country. The army has promised that they will do another election uh, for Myanmar, and they will, you know, they to I guess to make sure that everything is fair. But the electoral commissioner said that there was no pre- commission said there was no problems in the first election. Um, in fact, the election that took that brought um, their um, their leader, uh, their elected leader Aung San Suu Kyi, into power, she actually won by a landslide. Um, so there's just a lot of tensions, and because she has such big support in Myanmar, the the protesters are uh, they really they're they're really fighting for her but also for democracy that's i guess that's what the the big thing is um australia is also redirecting humanitarian aid towards rohingya oh i hope i'm saying this right rohingyas and other vulnerable groups within myanmar so there's many different ethnic groups because this country is surrounded by very many you know other countries as well it's it's a normal thing to happen it's a very multicultural country and so um I guess Australia's and the UN is helping is sending humanitarian aid that that way. Um, the UN also said security forces have. Uh, oh yeah, I've already mentioned that. Anyway, so that's that's kind of what's happening right there. We're, they're still in the midst of it, so um, definitely, I'm um, definitely keeping an eye and just seeing what's happening there. Um, and yeah, just hoping that you know people's lives are at stake here. So just really, just yeah, I really have sympathy and. Um, yeah, hope thoughts and prayers out there to them. Um, also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there has been a new eruption of Mount Etna. This is a different story. A massive volcano, a volcano in northeastern Sicily. <laughs> I got that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's covered dozens of local towns and cities with black ash and stones. So authorities on the large Italian island has declared a regional state of emergency as well. Um, and requested help from national government uh, from the national government in Rome. So Etna, Europe's tallest active volcano, erupted for the tenth time mm. since February 16. 
Yeah. That's a lot of <laughs> options. Yeah. I would move very far away. <laughs> very, yes, very far away. Um, uh, it's southeastern crater blasting out lava and a thick cloud of ash that was captured in photos by locals on the ground and also by satellites by the European Space Agency. I was just watching the video early on. I was like, wow, it's, it's quite majestic. It's very beautiful, but it's also very scary. Yes. Even just watching from a video, the rumblings, like it is just this deep rumbling that you just feel. Feel like I feel watching the video. Yes. I can imagine the locals there who are just who are, who actually feel the rumbles of the volcano and actually see the smoke and smell the sulfur. Just I can yeah. So the ash blanketed dozens of towns between the volcano's eastern slope and the Mediterranean Sea, including um, just a bunch of towns. Um, the cascade of ash and uh, the pyroclastic material has caused problems and delays along the stretch of highway between the cities of Messina and Catena. Um, uh, so the emergency has not affected nearby cities or its airports. So people are still able to leave. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, uh, uh, although, and often occurs when Etna erupts, um, it's yeah it's just it's just a great thing to know about anyway in more news um nasa uh the perseverance rover has taken its first drive on the surface of mars oh <laughs> i thought this was such a it was such a cute story because it, it has reported that the rover has rolled four meters forward before turning 150 meters uh, degrees and then driving backwards 2.5 meters <laughs> very nice <laughs> well done big drive big drive <laughs> have a rest have a rest for the perseverance rover you've done a lot um uh, it's uh, the engineers. Um, they see this as a huge milestone, which I, I'm sure it is. I, I really do think it is. You know, um, and uh, they're just celebrating this step into in science. It's just amazing that we can explore the universe and explore our solar system and realize, wow, what an amazing God we serve, um, and just really appreciate His creation. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And joining us on the phone this morning is Etienne McClintock from Voice of the Martyrs. Etienne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lyle. Always good to be with you and always good to be with you, dear listeners. And we always find encouragement when we listen to the stories that you have to share with us, even though we find them disturbing because... They are encouraging stories of people dealing with traumatic events in their lives but staying faithful to God. Absolutely. I mean, it must be the hardest thing when things are totally out of your control, when the forces are overwhelming and there's nobody else you can rely on. You can't do anything. You can't rely on your family because, I mean, the forces are greater that are attacking you because of your faith and your Christianity. It may even be government. It may even be military. maybe extremist Muslims. And the only one you can cry out to is the God that you have uh, learned to grow and trust and love all your life as a Christian. Now, some of the people, of course, have been a little bit more nominal in their faith. But at times like this, everyone cries out to God for help. And a lot of people's faith is strengthened and renewed during these trying circumstances. And, of course, there's sometimes there's a loss of life. There's people who are permanently injured. But it's, it's, it's terrible. And uh, if you like being in control as an individual, this is a very tough situation to deal with. 
Very challenging indeed. Now, Etin, before we get into uh, the main stories for, from, uh, from Voice of the Martyrs, this week, I just wanted to mention just before we, just before I got you on the phone, I was actually texting with uh, a friend from Ethiopia. Now they're from down in the south, but you and I spent some time together in Ethiopia. We were preaching down in the south, and we also did some research up in the north of Ethiopia. Story recently That's came right. out of uh, a terrible massacre that took place right where we were. Do you have any true to Voice of the Martyrs uh, in relationship to that event? Yeah, no, look, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible event. And, um, and as you know, and as we discussed, 750 Christians were slaughtered for their faith in the church that is dedicated to Mary with the Orthodox Christians in Ethiopia and Aksum. A terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, you've got a lot of troops from Eritrea in there now fighting a war on a foreign soil, basically, and the Ethiopian government is permitting it. And you look, I've still got contacts just like you have from Ethiopia. And then I've got other people I know who've left Eritrea and now live overseas, and I've heard stories from both sides. So who's the guilty party? Uh, I'm not sure. But whenever Christians are attacked, we know there's a satanic power and an influence behind it. These people were attacked. They all fled into the church, you know, hoping that God would save them within the church. But 750 people got slaughtered there that day. Um, a terrible day. And this is uh, this is the church where they actually have the uh, what they believe the Ark of the Covenant is, no one that Solomon sent over to them. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, these people are also Sabbath keepers. They keep both Saturday and Sunday. There's a blend of truth and error in the mixture there. But uh, what a beautiful group of people we meet there. It's probably the area, I have to say, Nile, when we were visiting there, where I felt the safest just simply because of the Christian influence there. I have to agree absolutely that there was, uh, you know, there was times down in the south in uh, Awasa where I was kind of, you know, definitely more alert than what I normally am to my surroundings and the environment and the kind of, you know, looks yes, that I was getting from some of the people. But uh, in Axum, I was relaxed the whole time and just wonderful people. And to think that you and I, mm. you know, it wasn't that long ago. Um, it feels like it was just a few months ago. We're walking through that church, beautiful building, beautiful people. And to think that uh, right there in the courtyard that there was just a massive amount of bloodshed of, you know, and we saw, we, 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 we attended, you know, an early morning parade where people were singing and they were celebrating and they were worshipping God. And yes, and they they do that for quite a number of days. Don't they? I think it's about fifty days where they get everybody's out at five o'clock in the morning and they sing in choirs and they praise and they worship. Yeah, you know, try and get people to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night is not quite as easy. But here you have basically the whole town out, thousands upon thousands, and just walking with candles in the dark and singing and praising God. It, it was incredible. Mm, mm. Very sobering news. But yeah. But look, things around the world are tough for Christians. We were just waiting for statistics to come out. I think last time I spoke on the program about a month ago, um, we didn't have the latest uh, data for 2020, but that's come out now. So we have one of the agencies that tracks persecution statistics on an annual basis. And are they telling us now that there's been an increase of 60 million uh, people, Christians who were persecuted last year for their faith. So during COVID-19, during the lockdowns, and we've spoken about this time and time again, uh, there has been a significant uh, pressure put on Christians to denounce their faith so they can get aid. You know, when you're looking at your starving children and you're thinking, well, how am I going to provide for them? And then the agency comes and goes, listen, we can provide aid, but you've got to denounce your faith. You either got to renounce that and be, and, uh, and be a Hindu or be a, a Muslim. It becomes very difficult. So if we look at the numbers, you know, there's been an increase in 2020 on the year before 
60% more people were martyred for their faith. Now, if we break that down, because when, when you're dealing, when you're dealing with statistics, you know, quite often the, the individuality of the story and the fetal impact of the brothers, the sisters, the mothers, the fathers, and so on is lost. Um, but they're saying on average, so even today, on average, there's 13 Christians who will die for their faith, who would rather die for Christ than to denounce him. There will be 12 Christians who will be unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned. There will be five Christians who will be kidnapped today because of their faith. But we've seen this uh, persecution against Christians rise consecutively for the last 15 years. We've been hoping that things would go and unwind because every year there's an increase, and it's millions, and increase by millions. But uh, persecution is at the highest level it's been in uh, modern historic times, basically. So it's, been, it's been tough for Christians out there. Those are some very sobering statistics. And as you say, you know, an increase in 60 million. So that's not 60 million people being persecuted. That's 60 million more than was being persecuted last year. And I think it was Joseph Stalin who said, you know, one person dying is a tragedy, but, you know, a few million people dying is a statistic. And it's just a, it's just a number on a page, isn't it? But every single one of those, there is a personal story behind every single one of those 60 million extra people. Yeah. yeah, the numbers are now a set of 340 million believers who have faced persecution in the last 12 months. So that's that larger than the population of the United States. Exactly. Which that's is one, right. of, the, yeah, which is one the of the population. most populous nations on earth. That's right. What are they, 330, 320, somewhere around there, a million people? And mm-hmm. yeah, so there's more Christians now being persecuted than now in all of the United States. You're right. Well, look, one of the things we're doing to create awareness around this, because we do want to be a voice for the persecutor, we do want people to sign up to our newsletter so people are aware of this. Um, there are things changing in Australia, and uh, I know you keep in touch with what's happening in Australia here, but with uh, laws and changes in laws where it even becomes illegal now for you to pray with someone who's requested prayer who might be struggling with sexual identity. You now, all those challenges we're facing, we can learn so much from persecuted Christians, their faithfulness, their walk with the Lord, their devotional life, their prayer life. So I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Peter Yasek, who's a colleague of ours who's working out of the Czech Republic. Uh, he was in charge of all our work through into Africa. He was overseeing it all. And when he went to the Sudan, just for a four-day visit to check up on projects and then also get more and get funding organized for it, uh, at the border, they caught him and he was in prison. And he wrote a book called In Prison with ISIS. He was in prison with extremists and uh, uh, you know, he was tortured and persecuted for his faith there. Uh, we've actually given one of his books away. And what we can do today as well, if you like law, is uh, if people want to call him, uh, we will give this book in prison. But I said we've done it before. We'll give away another five if you want to. The, uh, the second story we're going to look at called In Prison for Christ is Andrew Brunson's story. Now, he's probably uh, more famous, especially in the United States, even where the U.S. government and the president of the United States got involved where he was running a small little church in Izmir in Turkey. And then when there was a coup, an attempted coup, him amongst many others were arrested. Now, he had nothing to do with the coup. But he was in prison for a number of years, and then finally was released, and he wrote a book which was released about a year or so ago called God's Hostage. And then the third person, a guy called Dan Bauman, probably least known of the lot, but he was imprisoned in Iran. And he also wrote a book and released it called Cell 58. Uh, we also have uh, 3ABN Radio in the USA, Todd Nettleton. He'll be the moderator of the program. And then a lady called Natalie Grant. She'll be leading in worship for uh, for about 15 minutes or so. She's had like five what they call GMA, which is, I guess, Gospel Music Association, Dove Awards for female vocalists of the year. So she seems like an angel. She'll be part of the program. 
But I just want to share Dan Bauman's story. Uh, yeah, that's a less that's years. a less well known story. This is uh, the other two. I've heard of those stories before. I've not heard of this. I've not heard of this person's name before. Yeah, no, he is a real inspiration because he just tells the story as it is. It's so raw. But he spent many years ministering in Muslim countries, and uh, he and a friend went over for two weeks to visit Iran, just sharing with the people, fell in love with the people there, and shared the gospel where they could. Well, as they tried to exit the border, they hand over the documentations and their passport, and they wait and they wait, and then after six hours, uh, the officials come back and say, well, there's a problem with your documentation, follow us. Now, he's been in many dangerous situations, he said, where God has always come through for him. But somehow he's just thinking in the back of his mind, this just feels a little bit different. Something is, is, is not right. Anyway, they separate him and his friend, and he gets interrogated under torture for six hours. After six hours, they drag him back to the lobby. His friend's there as well. The same thing had happened to him. Then subsequent to that, they take him to a basement there, and they're imprisoned. And basically, he then realized there was two options for him. Either God will have to be uh, to do a miracle to get him released, or he would just remain in prison indefinitely. He didn't know for how long. Now, he was in the cell 24-7, and the only time they would let him out of the, the, the cell was to be interrogated, and he hated that interrogation room. He said there was blood on the floor, and, uh, you know, that's the only time he was out of prison. The, the, the cell itself only had a dim light in one corner, and he said this is here where he started really struggling with his faith. God had come through from him in the past. He had many miraculous stories, you could tell, but here was just nothing. He seemed separated from God. He was questioning, was God still with him? Did God still love him? He, 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 he got to a stage one day where he woke up and he was just done. You know, through the torture and the isolation, everything, he just had nothing left. And he said he was going to be here. He felt he was going to be there for the rest of his life. And he said the only way he could escape this would be through death. Now, either he died under torture, but these people were very smart. They wouldn't <laughs> take him to that point. And then he started contemplating suicide. And yes, he attempted it. Uh, he attempted it a number of times. I mean, I mean, there's limited opportunities, obviously, in the cell. But he even failed at that. And he, I remember falling to the floor after he tried to kill him one more time. He as a broken man, ashamed of, and embarrassed of himself. But right at that point, a, an incredible real transformation took place. That's where God stepped in. And I don't want to share all the story, but the, the fact remains is this guy then was actually able to actually win the guy who was torturing him every single day. He actually ended up winning him to Christ. And this story will be told on this virtual event. So go to vom.com.au and sign up for the event. It's free. You'll get a little gift if you sign up. And if people even want to support it, they can. And I think there's another gift that the CEO, Tony Benjamin, has put aside for that as well. But this is an event that will be available. It kicks off at 11.30 uh, Saturday morning on the 6th of March. But you can watch it any time subsequent to that for another 48 hours. That sounds like a... Definitely event that, um, yeah, it's a, it, a must attend event. Uh, I will definitely be attending that myself. You know, these are some big names that you've got here. A couple of them are well known names. And that last story, I really, really want to hear that story of what took place there and what took place in that cell and how he was able to, uh, to lead that, that, uh, torturer to Christ. I mean, how often does a, does an Islamic torturer come to Christ? Yeah, exactly. And look, this guy is amazing because, I mean, he did so many wonderful things for the Lord leading up to it for years and years, and God did many miracles. But then in this event, when he hit rock bottom, when he had nothing left, that's when God actually revealed himself to him in a miraculous way. It's a story you wouldn't want to miss. So, yeah, I encourage you to get on to vom.com.au, hit the register button. It's free. 
and uh, you will be blessed by this program when it comes uh, to air in the next uh, week or so. Fantastic stuff, Etienne. Um, just very briefly, we've we've talked about you know the big picture. Persecution up by 60 million in the last year. We've talked about the event that's coming up soon. Are there any other uh, specific stories that you want to share with us? You know, just things that have taken place over the last month. Well, if you go to our uh, our blog site there on the website or if you download the app, you can get these story updates all the time. There's one just recently. You've got a photo of a man that's severely burnt. His face is burnt, his ears, his hands. And this was a man in Nigeria. His name is... Uh, Machine, Machingil, uh, Philemon. And, uh, this was, this happened in 2018, so just around two years plus. And, uh, you know, he was just talking with a friend and they suddenly heard gunshots, uh, in the community. They ran out to see what was happening and the side of Fulani herdsmen coming in and just killing people indiscriminately greeted them. They all began to run, run in different directions, seeking refuge. Now he and his friend ran into a room, but they did not know that the Fulani actually saw him. Now Fulani are extremist Muslims that are fleeing, you know, the, the increase of the desert and that they're coming in contact with Christians in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, they started shooting into the room where they were hiding and just shouting that Allah is great and Allah is Akbar. And, um, you know, they, they started crying out and then the people said, look, come out. Um, uh, and they were going to basically shoot them. And then what happened, the room was locked and they heard the sound of people trying to break into the wall. They couldn't break in. Then they could smell petrol when the, when the noise died down and they set the house on fire where they were. And the fire became more and more intense. His friend got so worried about the heat and the pain. He said, look, I'm going to go out. And Philemon basically said to him, listen, I would rather die in the fire than go out for those men to kill us. So they stayed in the room as the fire grew more intense and began to burn them. They were screaming in the pain. And then eventually, you know, there's a fire down there. They just lay very still on the floor. They pretended to be dead, and the people actually came into the room afterwards and thought they were dead and didn't do anything, didn't shoot them, but they had survived. And then hours later, they, they ran out, they came out of hiding, and they were both badly burnt. Uh, they asked people to take them to the nearest hospital. People were fearing that uh, they would encounter Fulani men on the way. And uh, so then finally, his brother took him to the next village, and uh, he had had many surgeries and burns and that, and this is where Voice of the Martyrs stepped in to provide medical aid through our VOM medical uh, fund and uh, you know him and his family have been helped through this whole process but his story is there photos there it's a terrible photo of this dear brother in Christ that has been injured simply because of their faith and, and hatred towards Christians so go onto our website and you'll find many many more stories like that mm, mm. fantastic and that website of course is vom.com.au Tim McClintock thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning thank you so much a lot of pleasure to be with you mm, God bless Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.